Thank you for listening to episode 12 of the Kindness Rebellion. I am your host, Nathan Jones, and in today's episode, I spoke with Rod Keyes, author of The Naturally Good Man and The 10,000 Blades of Life. Rod has worked with men and women for over 40 years, helping to teach and understand emotional intelligence. He's worked at men's centers, youth hostels, counseling centers, and many more. He's well-established in the world of mental health, and I value him particularly for his work in helping others build an understanding of emotional intelligence. We have a brilliant conversation about understanding and working with our emotions and how it can help build systemic change. Rod and I met through our volunteer work with the Moneyless Society, and I felt like we clicked. His views on the world and his personal statement to be a man with no enemies really resonates with me. Be sure to check out his book and website, which I link in the description, and please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast, or do whatever it is you do to show me that you like it. Thanks for listening. Hey, Rod, thank you so much for being on the, the Kindness Rebellion with me. I really appreciate having you here. You're very awesome. Awesome. Uh, I, it was cool to kind of uh, get to know you a little bit just through our volunteer work with, you know, the Moneyless Society. Um, it, when we were just kind of going through introductions and stuff like that, you had mentioned your work with uh, the Naturally Good Man and kind of your your focus on men's emotional and uh, mental like intelligence and well-being. And it, it really struck a chord with me because that's really something I'm trying to do here on the mm-hmm. podcast. So I'd love to start with just kind of getting an introduction from you and just kind of understanding how you got to this place where you, where you wanted to start, you know, not only understanding your own uh, emotional and mental well-being, but helping other people as well. So I'd love to hear that. Well, it started for me when I was really young, when I was about 12 years old. Um, I had gone through a very intense period of bullying as a boy, and I used to get beat up all the time for a couple of years. And uh, I also had a uh, mentally ill mother uh, who eventually suicided within the next Mm -hmm. few years. So I was going through extreme trauma, and I was a very angry young boy. Um, yeah, really angry. Um, and I didn't know what it was that I was feeling. I was just overwhelmed with anger and rage. Yeah. Uh, and after one time that I had gotten beaten up, um, I said I'd had enough of this and I wanted to figure out what was going on. So I forced myself to lay on my bed and I said, I'm not getting off of here until I know what's going on here. So I must have laid there for an hour, and then suddenly I woke up, um, light bulb went off, and I said, it's not my fault. And that that changed the whole game, because I thought, yeah, I thought it was my fault, and that I deserved this somehow, I had done something or something. And then I had another thought, well, whose fault is it? And then I thought, well, obviously, I must be thinking it's the bully's fault, it's the people who are beating me up. And then I realized, well, what if they're being bullied or beaten up somewhere else in their life, and I don't know about it? 
then well, what about those other people who are being bullied and getting beaten up somewhere else and just kept going back through history all the way back through time and i realized it was just a human thing it's just something that happened but i could put an end to it if i chose to and um i decided then and there that um to have compassion and empathy for people especially for people who are hurting and in and are suffering and that's where i learned about well what i needed to learn about being masculine in my life because i could awesome. then i could then approach people with compassion and empathy and and not see other people as competitors or enemies Wow. I love that so much. I mean, uh, that's just such a perfect place to start because I think that natural reaction to not only blame yourself, but then to also seek to blame someone else is, is just so it's, it's very predictable. It's, it's very understandable. You know, we all kind of experience that way, but the fact that you had the experience of transcending that and understanding that, that it's never, it's not necessarily anyone's fault. And it's just this interaction that everybody is trying to deal with. You know, it kind of reminds me of this saying of Violence begets, begets violence, you know, and mm-hmm. it's as we're just constantly perpetuating it because we're trying to blame someone or, you know, seek revenge for it, we're only perpetuating it further. And I think it's so valuable to me that you were able to not only see that pattern and stop it within yourself, but seek to help others stop it as well. Um, so I'd love to kind of uh, to to move on to what you were saying at the end of that there, where you were trying to understand your masculinity and you were trying to understand what that really meant to you because um i'm really curious what that means to you what what is masculinity to you and and how do you try to um share that with other people well the thing about masculinity is that it's not just one thing to one person each person has their own masculinity so it's whether or not you can sort of let it come up without it being against anybody or for anybody or anything. It's just something that comes up in you. It's like, a, I don't know, it's like a breath, taking a breath or uh, it, it's something that you feel inside yourself. It's not something anybody could teach you or show you. It's there. You just have to be honest with yourself to feel it. And I like that. what gets in the way is our anger and all the other feelings that uh, are associated with anger, such as hurt, shame, uh, humiliation, etc. And anger is the predominant feeling that men think is masculinity, but it's not. It's really hurt or shame or humiliation. And we don't, and we don't honor that in ourselves. We're unable to say, Instead of saying, I'm really pissed off at you, what you're really feeling is you hurt me by doing what you did. I feel hurt by what you said, or I feel shamed by the way you spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And what I'd like you to do instead in the future is this. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Our masculinity is about being able to say how we feel. Mm-hmm. And take responsibility for it. That's what emotional okay. intelligence is for men. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think, I think that's the thing that you and I really connected on here is just the idea of emotional intelligence for men, because, um, I, I really love that concept, especially the idea of, um, you know, how really the only emotion that men have been socialized to accept or even really understand within themselves is anger instead of looking at the deeper emotions at play. And like you said, taking responsibility for them. And I think that's, that's the basis of emotional intelligence. I think is, is Mm -hmm. trying to not only understand that those emotions are happening and that they're there in the first place, but that you're capable of actually, um, taking responsibility for them and learning how to work with them in order to improve the relationships in, in our lives. Yeah. One of the problems with men expressing their emotions through anger is that really that's more of a statement of powerlessness than strength. Yeah. Because they have no idea what they are really feeling because they're just using anger as a shield to cover up the deeper, harder feelings, the more, tender softer spots like hurt or shame yeah um some something that i i sorry to kind of jump in there because i I wanted to say that a lot of what i've heard before is that anger is um usually just a reaction and it's usually a masking emotion that it really is trying to cover up something deeper that's going on so i really like that you said that we do that because it's safer to cover up the emotions because you know you know, say you're in a, uh, a war, you're fighting a wild animal. You don't want to stand there and tell the wild animal that you feel hurt by them. You want to kill the damn thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, what needs to, that's what needs to happen. And that, and you, need, it's a, you, need, you need that anger. Yeah, and there's like evolutionary roots to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's natural, but it's mm-hmm. not helpful for human relationships. We have to learn how to deal with it properly. Mm, I think that's the key point. You know, we're trying to deal with these tools and machinery from our evolution where, yeah, it it was to try and deal with wild boars and in the forests or something like that. But now we're trying to use those same types of tools to interact and, you know, coordinate with people. And it's, it's just not proving to be effective and it's hurting us. It's hurting men. Um, so I, I really love that you have this knowledge and that you're, uh, working to share it um because i know it's just been like these kinds of concepts have been so valuable in my own life um and i kind of wanted to get uh you know a, a more a specific understanding from you as to how um you know cuz you told you, you know you told us about how these these concepts started to really come to you after you were dealing with all of the you know trauma from your your childhood and and dealing with those events. Um, I wonder, I want to know how you actually started to learn to become and teach about being this naturally good man and being able to, um, learn emotional intelligence specifically and handle these emotions. Like what are the kind of processes that you had to go through to actually develop these skills? Well, um, back in the, uh, mid eighties, I joined a men's group And uh, that was very helpful for me to be able to talk to other men that I respected and liked who could also talk about their feelings and there was no shaming going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a very safe place. Um, And that was the beginning for me to be able to do that. So I have grown from there 
uh, over those 40 years to, um, you know, help build nonprofit societies for men and start men's groups and do counseling for men. Uh, uh, it's just become a, a major part of my life. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. I love that so much because one, th- one thing I really like about that is, you know, as we're kind of uh, as our society is trying to become more progressive and really build on, you know, fixing the things that we've made mistakes for in the past. I think one of the things that has, and maybe it's controversial to say, but I think men's well-being in terms of emotional intelligence has been neglected. So yeah. I really value that that is something that you've been focusing on. And I'd, I'd love to kind of hear um, more about that, I guess, uh, just kind of what what needed to happen for these um these safe spaces for men to to be created because you know right now it's it's not necessarily that men don't have a voice it's just that the voice is very directed towards power and anger and not necessarily towards these healthier um types of emotions that that we're discussing here so yeah i'd, I'd love to kind of dive deeper into that well I mean, it covers so much ground, that topic. Uh, mm-hmm. It's huge. Um, I, I wrote a book on the history of masculinity, and the whole book was filled with examples of how men um, use power or fear uh, to get what they want or what they think they want. Um, and the history of the world is filled with those examples, and we, I'm sure we're all very familiar with them especially today. Yeah. Um, but it's the keys that are really important, like dealing with uh, the anger, as I suggested, as being a shield and looking at what's deeper. But there's another key uh, to use along with that. And that is called a uh, thing I learned in a workshop I took called personal integration training um, through the Mankind Project. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-mm. Um and pit training is okay, let's say between you and I, for example, say something happens and um say you feel angry with towards me about something. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the pit training, what that says is that I'm a trigger for anger in you. Mm. Okay? So the anger is not about me. It's about something in you. So mm-hmm. the trick for you is to say, where have I experienced this before? Mm-hmm. Where have I experienced that triggering person, triggering event, emotions in my life before? And then you'll say, oh, yeah, that person, me, reminds you of somebody 10 years ago that did this to you. Mm-hmm. and so in that process, you didn't understand what it was about, and you didn't forgive yourself for being hurt by it or being um, shamed by it or about whatever emotions you felt. Mm-hmm. Okay? So mm-hmm. what, what you do then is you look at, okay, I, did, I felt shamed by that person 10 years ago. And then you say, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, this person I'm looking at right now, are they as bad or worse or whatever? And you say, well, maybe they're a four. And they say, okay, well, let's let's look at that person in the past. And can you forgive yourself for being shamed and 
take care of yourself for being shamed and heal that for you. And then if you, if you could say yes, then heal yourself, then come out and look at this person again and see if it's changed the way you're reacting to them. Because you no longer have a charge. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You've, yeah. You've dealt, you've dealt with your charge from the past. So it should be a much reduced um, effect from that other person. And probably you could then have a conversation with them and say, sorry, man, I just overreacted. Yeah. I love that so much. I, I think that's that's such a very valuable process to try and you know cultivate within ourselves. Um, I especially love that you know it doesn't necessarily have to. I mean, it's probably so hard for people to do that right in the moment of being oh, triggered. Yeah. You know, oh, as yeah. soon as you, as soon as those emotions grip you, you're just you're kind of in yeah. a frenzy for a bit. But yeah. I think hearing this and understanding this process and being able to do it even after the fact is going to be so valuable in anyone's life. Um, so I love hearing about it. And I love how the, how you suggest that you can always come back to the situation after and say, Hey, I overreacted. And it's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, where you're taking responsibility for those emotions. Like you mm -hmm. said, right at the beginning, because I'm angry, it doesn't mean that it's all your fault. I have to take responsibility for that anger and understand where it's coming from. I think that's exactly. a very important piece of what you're saying. Yeah. Cause we tend to think that whatever is happening that right in our face, is what's the charging us up. Char that's mm. what's charging us, but it's not. Oh, I like that. Because it's all about the patterns that you've been experiencing through your life that are bringing up this emotion. You know, these emotions aren't just extremely spontaneous. They're sort of learned no. and built over time through our experiences yeah. in life. Yeah. I love and that. We, and if we don't face them one at a time, they just build up like a capacitor. Mm. And they yeah. and just boom, on the next yeah. person that comes along, right? So you're just constantly doing this to everybody you meet mm -hmm. because you're not dealing with the charge in your own life. Yeah. And what's so weird about that is it can kind of feel like a solution for those people. The The explosion and the burst yeah. can feel like I've handled the situation. This was the way it needed to be done. But I think when we really evaluate those moments and really evaluate how we reacted in those moments, we're going to find that it's actually causing more problems in the long run. And for me specifically, I think it's just because I've practiced the alternative of saying like, Hey, you know what? Uh, you said this thing and it kind of triggered me. Um, and I needed to be responsible for that emotion. And I wanted to tell you about it. And it's always turned out better than just getting yeah. angry or resentful. It's, <laughs> it's, it seems kind of simple in a way, but it's, it takes a lot of, uh, I think it takes a lot of courage for people to do that. And, and I, I'm assuming that's kind of what you're trying to teach people is trying to be more brave and courageous with their emotions. I suppose that the brave and courageous is the right term. Um, I think it's just I, as well. I think it's just being uh, uh, caring and loving yourself mm. and um, being more concerned about the way this, that you think you should live your life rather than the script that's been laid out for you. Yeah. I like I mean, that a lot. Sometimes you just have to decide to go in your, go your own way. Mm -hmm. And acknowledge yeah. what's going on within. Uh-huh. And yeah, I like that a lot. You have to forget what society says because you can't always rely on that. That's just what mm -hmm. in some ways the way society is is that it's the answers to somebody else's problems or questions. Yeah. yeah. So what are your questions? 
Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. It's it's a it's really a re, society's kind of built about uh, built around kind of powerful people's reactions to all of these things that we're experiencing. And and I like the idea that it's it's time to really start focusing on our own responses and our own um, you know takes on these experiences in our lives and our culture. And it kind of brings me to the, one of this other point where based on what we're being taught by our culture in terms of what it is to be a man or you know to have masculinity um i kind of wanted to see if there is anything out in our culture right now that you consider to be valuable or if it's mostly toxic like are are men just totally in a mire of of uh, poor ways of being a good man or are are there things that we can actually value right now and run with um well uh yeah i mean uh the whole idea of I don't like the term toxic masculinity because it doesn't really, it's kind of a negative. What's really happening is a disempowerment of men because they choose anger over feeling. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So it's not like yeah. a bad thing. It's a like, oh man, I feel so sorry for you that you cannot feel what you're really feeling, that you yeah. have to feel, you have to express anger instead. If you could just feel your feelings, you'd be a lot happier. Mm-hmm. I like that because it comes back to what we were saying at the beginning of perpetuating these negative experiences. If we're just sort of saying yeah. you are toxic, you yeah. are a negative uh, rendition of being a man, then we're just going to cut them out and sort of like, I guess, react in a, a similar yeah. anger or, you know. Uh, active disempowerment like you're saying but i love the idea that you can actually come into that situation from empathy and kindness and understanding to just say to feel not necessarily pity but just this sort no. of like this sort of hurt for that person um uh, one thing i've talked yeah oh sorry go on you reinforce their anger by to calling them toxic oh that's a good point you're building on it yeah so if what you really if you really want to say something, you could say you could be a much more effective person if you felt mm. your feelings. Oh, okay. That's good. I think more. that's that's a good skill to know uh, how to I guess we can kind of dive into that a little more like how uh-huh. do we uh you know engage with other men that we feel are, you know, acting solely out of their own anger or like we just don't under or maybe even if we're having a hard time understanding where that anger and, and that pain is coming from. Well, you can try and teach them the pit uh, skills, or you can speak to them using nonviolent communication. Are you familiar with that? Uh, very, very, not very, not really. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, okay. please, okay. yeah, please explain. Okay. Um, Marshall Rosenberg developed uh, nonviolent communication, and he went all over the world helping to create uh, safe places for uh, conflicts between tribal peoples and other nations. He was a very well-loved person. Anyway, mm-hmm. so he developed this uh, process where what you say is when you do this, you describe it, I feel, you describe a feeling mm-hmm. because and the because is of something that happened in my life years ago. What I would like you to do in the future is this. So that's like the that. process. Mm-hmm. That's that's the speaking process. The hearing process is the opposite of that. So the, the hearing process is when 
when I do this, you feel because what you would like me to do in the future is this. Mm, I like that. And I think when, when that process is really outlined and elucidated, it really gives people an opportunity to connect and it gives people an opportunity to actually overcome these, these divides. Because I think when, when we tell ourselves that we really can't get past all of the divisiveness and the battling within our culture, it's really because we're not doing this. We're not communicating yeah. to the person yeah. and we're not hearing the other person very well. Yeah, yeah I like right. that a lot. Yeah, there, so, there is. Sorry, go on. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say there really is no divide. It's actually just a communication problem. And people need to try a little harder, learn some skills of how to actually listen to what other people are saying before they, you know, a lot of people in conversations just sit there waiting to have to say the next thing that comes up and they're not actually listening to what's Mm -hmm. being said to them. Yeah. And that, that, that can, that makes all the difference because if people feel like they're being heard and they're actually engaging with you, it's just going to help the two of you bond together. And I feel like this entire process of just developing a more sophisticated form of communication with each other is going to be what's necessary to transcend all of the problems we're experiencing right now. You know, I, I kind of have this feeling that social media and just the internet culture in general is really stripping that away. Um, mm-hmm. specifically because we're not we're not engaging with people on a level we're not communicating with people on a level that is uh, that's conducive to our our biology our evolution you know the way that we are as humans we're it's stripping it down to text and we're uh, engaging with these people from the other side of a screen rather than face to face and understanding mm-hmm. the humanity um, so I think this whole process that you're outlining of nonviolent communication is going to be absolutely essential for everybody in order to transcend these problems and build new systems and build new worlds that we can all really thrive in. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give you an example of uh, listening to what somebody is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, one of my uh, brother-in-laws uh, is a gun a carrier, mm-hmm. and he, he's a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked him one day, why do you carry a gun? Like, And to me, being a Canadian, that's a huge thing. We don't carry guns in Canada. Nobody does. Yeah, really? Yeah, nobody does. There's there's no issues with safety. It's a, it, I've never had to be worried. Mm-hmm. Okay, You're not on so, the alert. Yeah, so... My reaction to him is of one of some shock, of course. But what he said to me is, after some conversation, he said to me, he's afraid to be in his own country. Wow. And I heard that, and I went, oh, wow. I understand. You feel afraid to be in your own country, so in order to feel safe, you carry a gun. And he mm-hmm. said, yes. Wow. So I learned something really valuable there about him. Mm-hmm. 
I love that a lot because you were you were sort of open to whatever response he was going to have, so yeah. that you could understand where he was coming from. And what I yeah. and like we don't have to get too into it, but what I love that that says about the entire you know gun control debate in general is that maybe the guns themselves isn't the problem. If it's if it's a populace that isn't feeling safe in their own home, then this is just a symptom of that of that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that realization would have never occurred if you had just written him off and said, ah, he's just some gun toting crazy person. You came to him from this point of like wanting to understand and he was able to be honest with you. And I love that so much. I think we just need more of that in our society. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really like that. I think that's one of the things I, well, that is a major thing I try to promote within my counseling skills and with other all the men that I know is how to improve the communication so that it's more authentic and genuine. Perfect. I love that so much. And actually, that kind of brings me to my next question was, um, uh, I think it's kind of obvious, but I wanted to point it out and kind of address it is, but like, why did you choose to focus on, you know, emotional intelligence and maintenance for men? Or what do you think that men tend to lack emotional intelligence more so than women and therefore need more help uh, understanding and building that communication there? Yeah, that started again, like when I was really young, um, mm-hmm. when I was dealing with being bullied, because they had such a powerful impact on me and I saw the amount of pain that they were in mm-hmm. and I saw, and so as a result, I just continued to see the pain in men wherever I went. So mm-hmm. my focus was kind of created for me by my own experiences and I wanted to address it. So um, that's why I focused on men. And at the same time, um, I was seeing women leaping ahead of just incredible uh, pace to uh, reclaim their femininity and their rights in the world. And I was thrilled for them. And I wanted the same for men because I didn't see men keeping up. I saw Mm. men either falling behind or doing nothing. And uh, that saddened me and I wanted to do something about it. Awesome. Yeah. And I feel like not only were men kind of falling behind, but they were, they were trying to cling on to the, like the accepted or like uh, registered ways of dealing with their emotions, which has already been proven to be so limiting and so painful for us. So I, I love, I love that idea because I think when we're thinking of the, you know, the culture wars or even just how men and women are trying to progress, we sort of think men have, or I think the narrative has been really portrayed as men are like at the top, they're at this like pinnacle of hierarchy, and then women are just trying to catch up. But I really like how you reframed it so that women are making big, powerful, meaningful strides, and men need to also make big, powerful, meaningful strides so that we can all just transcend these kind of uh, negative patterns together. I really love that. that. That's so meaningful to me. The, the problem for men is that they think that if they if they stand back and applaud women and um, um, then get in touch with their own feelings, that they're not going to be seen as masculine. Yeah. And, and, th- and that is a real shame because true masculinity isn't about power or position or place or prestige. Mm. It's about how you feel about yourself. Yeah. 
I love that actually. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to kind of keep diving into that, because I think that's, I think that's where people are so lost this way. We feel so mm-hmm. derooted in terms of masculinity. We, we don't really understand what it means to be masculine. Cause you're, you're right. Like, uh, when I, traditionally i've just thought that being masculine means sort of being powerful being dominating or being just the top dog the alpha but i'm really starting to understand that there's not only so much more to it but that there's another direction that i want to take with masculinity so i'd love to kind of dive more into that well the thing with competition um which seems to happen between some people some men wild animals is we think that that's going to give us something Mm. in truth it's a lie because there's always going to be somebody greater or lesser than you so Mm. what what are you basing the standard on if it's Mm. always changing there is no standard yeah so so in truth the only person that you can really compete with effectively is yourself Ooh, i like that a lot you can't yeah, compete with anyone because it's not relevant to mm-hmm. anything. And it will just continue to change. So holding mm-hmm. on to that and using that as like a, a, def, a definition of your value and a definition of your masculinity is only going to hurt you in the long run because either you have to try and maintain that competition or that competitive hold over others or you're just going to feel lost. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a really good point. I like that a lot. Um, I. And I, I kind of, I really liked how just kind of pointing out the idea of competition in general, you know, one thing I'd heard before is that one of the reasons that women tend to be so, um, like emotionally intelligent and socially cohesive is because of their, uh, they, they called it like lateral cooperation. It wasn't trying to place themselves within a hierarchy of competition of like, I'm better than this person or I'm worse than this person. It was a matter of trying to, um, cooperate on a lateral level and try to socially coordinate with people through their emotions. Um, I I guess I wanted to see your, hear your thoughts on that. If that was something you'd heard before. Mm -hmm. And if you even, if you think that's something that men should try to move towards, or at least try to um, understand and, uh, and incorporate into their life. Okay. That's a complex issue. But (laughs) what women have done is because they're often stuck in the home, they would communicate with other women who are also stuck in the home over the back fence. And they would Mm -hmm. often talk about their husbands or the problems they're having or the children or whatever. And it was a way for women to really connect and relate in a community. So it was a very powerful way to keep communities together emotionally because the men were out doing whatever and they weren't building community. So Mm -hmm. that's just the, the woman's side, the male side is that when the Neolithic period 10,000 years ago happened, men and women were pretty much equal in terms of communication and status and power and respect and all all those things. Yes, in many ways, men and women did a lot of the same work. Mm -hmm. Um, Women went and hunted with the men, uh, and men would be with the children teaching their sons or their daughters to hunt. There was all kinds of interplay and interaction. But that that was when we didn't have farms. And then as soon as farms developed and we started having to grow food because we had eaten all the wild food or killed all the wild animals, we had to grow them. 
right? We had to develop uh, yeah. husband, animal husbandry, agriculture. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the farmers were more successful than other farmers. The successful farmers usually found that they had a surplus. So what do you do with a surplus? Well, you can trade it for something else. Uh, you can store it. Um, you can give it away if you want. Or you can just throw it away. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what actually happened in history is that the surplus was stored in protected buildings away from people who were poorer farmers. The poorer farmers had to trade their skills for the food. And eventually the surplus was protected by uh, armed guards, which eventually were protected by armies and a king. And so you create hierarchy based on the surplus. So men became identified with the idea of hierarchy because of the surplus that came from farming. That's one theory. That's my that's my theory. That's what the theory I developed in my book, and it's not necessarily new, but it I think it there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, that's a very interesting concept, especially just the idea that it kind of I mean, I I have to admit, like when you mentioned the the that before this happened, everybody was sort of like egalitarian and there was like just these this total crossover of gender roles and things like that. It just sort of sounded utopian to me. Um <laughs> and then it was, it was uh and then more I can, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was more that way. Yeah. Yeah. But I can I can definitely see how um kind of I guess hoarding these resources essentially would create this uh, this hierarchy, and then eventually, kind of like a ruling in a serf class. Um, that's really interesting. So, I guess is is there a way to overcome this this feeling of competition and hierarchy? Do you sure. think we even should? Yes. Um, what we do, what we have to do, is share the surplus. Yeah. Hence, the moneyless society. Yes. Yes. I, I love this idea. I love the idea that it's not about trying to hoard the resources and therefore gain control over people. It's about allowing our skills to be uh, used to share with people and to build community yeah. and, and have value with each other. Um, there's, no, there's no such thing as scarcity. We just make it up. Mm, I love that. Just, Based on ownership. We, and fear. Fear. Yeah. Fear is the really feel the deep feeling, the fear that we won't have enough, so we deny others to have a share. Oh, that's yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting point, especially in that specific example that you gave. Because yeah, I, I mean, you can you can understand how um, this successful farmer would justify to themselves, well, if I give out all my stuff, I might not have enough food for my own family, so therefore I have to create these structures in order to protect this from other people. When I think the key for our transcendence and the key for us as humans to improve is to change that mindset to if I can use this or if I can expand my sense of self or expand my sense of family and community to include everybody so that I can share these, uh, you know, plentiful resources with them, then I will not only just get some more in return from them as they bring their skills and their abilities to the forefront, um, but will be more resilient as as a species and as a culture. I like that a lot. 
yeah, we, we tend to think that wealth is uh, defined by very few items. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's been one of the problems in our societies is that we decide some people are talented and some people aren't. Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, and then we decide to, we divide the resources up based on that division. Mm -hmm. the, the truth is everybody is talented. Sometimes we just don't know where to put them. Yeah, that's a very good point. Especially, I, I really like that you pointed out that we're we're limiting what value is, and uh, especially in our modern society today, pretty much the only value that you can have or be considered valuable is if you can earn enough of this imaginary resource of currency, you know, which doesn't even have a direct tie to the resources that we actually need to survive as people. Mm -hmm. It's just an imaginary uh, structure that we've built out of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be real hard to overcome that. I think, you know, whenever I kind of talk about the moneyless society or even just the concept of getting rid of, rid of money in general and tying value to, to things, uh, that we actually need to survive, it's actually a really hard concept for people to grasp. And, um, <laughs> It's really embedded within our culture and within us. Um, so I, I hope that we can overcome it. And I, I wonder how much of this is going to be tied back into emotional intelligence, you know, it, because it's like what you said with this, this, uh, this like fear or this, uh, this feeling of scarcity. Um, and if that fear of scarcity is con continually driving and controlling us and we're incapable of actually having emotional intelligence to understand that fear and understand those experiences that we're having, it's going to be very difficult for us to overcome it. So uh, that's where I feel like the moneyless society and, you know, uh, emotional intelligence really intersect. It's about people trying to, um, develop the tools to understand what's happening to them in this forced scarcity. Yeah, that's right. And uh, if the tools aren't made available, people just fall back on the, the default. Yeah, which is their past experiences, right? Exactly. And yeah, so no, there's nobody there teaching them about what their anger really is telling them. Mm -hmm. And they never get a chance to really own what they're charged up by. Mm-hmm. People just yeah. continue to live out of them. That's, um, I think that's something that you and I have talked about previously is just, um, you know, I had released that message from the void about emotional intelligence and how it is uh, social intelligence. And I kind of, uh, I'd love to cover that right now. Just the idea of um, understanding our fear and our desire in a way that we can um use it to integrate socially with other people because kind of what we've talked about earlier already is just how if you can't understand your own emotions it's very difficult for you to relate with other people and it's very hard for you to actually overcome these structures that are kind of that are oppressing us through uh this mm -hmm. enforced scarcity um i'd love to hear your thoughts on that mm. well i think uh <laughs> One of the ways that I help myself to uh, work better with that is I developed a personal statement mm -hmm. for, the, for for my life, okay. and uh, um, and it, I yeah, it has to be something that is very hard to do because mm -hmm. it's, it wouldn't be worth it if it was simple or if it was easy or if it's, yeah, I can do that, no problem. Yeah, but it had to be something that was hard and challenged you every day. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote a personal statement, and it is, by using compassion and empathy, I create a world without enemies. Ooh, I like that a lot, because that's it not is, easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not easy. <laughs> I am constantly faced with my judgments and assessments of people, and I go, oh, Rod, what are you doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you doing? That's so valuable. I, I love that very much because um, I, I especially like the challenge of it and the mm-hmm. idea that you can come from a place of empathy and understanding in order. I mean, just the idea of not having any enemies. You know, some people may think that that's impossible, but honestly, I, I see it as necessary and, and I actually love it. I mean, it is extremely hard. Like if I was living in Ukraine right now, how would I deal with what's going on there? But, oh yeah, you know, if I was really disciplined and and I uh, maybe had people to talk to about it, and I could do my very best. Because mm-hmm. one of the other things that uh, Marshall Rosenberg said is that you can use the protective use of force mm-hmm. to protect yourself and the ones you love. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hate them. Mm. I like that because you, you're coming from a place of understanding of why they're even attacking you or why they're yeah. using force against you and doing what's necessary, but not coming back um, in a reactive and angry way. It's just as a protective force. Yeah, you can stop them even if it means you have to kill them. Mm. But you're not doing it out of hate. So what that does is it protects your humanity. You don't become a monster like what mm-hmm. you're what you're trying to remove. Yeah. Or, and is that, mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. if that's, is, is that very rooted in emotional intelligence? It's rooted in this idea of not, you have to be aware of your actions and whether it's coming from a place of revenge and hate and anger, or if it's coming from a place of, you know, protection and love and, you know, uh, trying just, just this protective force is, is that kind of rooted in emotional intelligence? Yeah. Because revenge is actually built upon, uh, probably past charges mm-hmm. that you that haven't been sense. able to, you haven't dealt with. Yeah. And now you feel like you have a, a viable route to act out this revenge so that you may feel successful. That's, yeah. that's an interesting point. And I, I think that's, that's something that I'm really trying to do. And I think that emotional intelligence can help us do is it, it just allows for nuance in our life. It's not this black and white, oh, fighting is never wrong or, or sorry, fighting is always wrong, you know, and force is always wrong. It's, it's just this acceptance of nuance that you need to be responsible for your own actions and your own beliefs in these moments so that you can actually act accordingly and accordingly with, uh, with your values and what's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, life, and yeah. sorry, go on. I was just going to say life isn't easy. <laughs> yeah, for real <laughs> to say the least. Right. <laughs> um, and I guess kind of diving more into this, I, I really feel like, um, just, I, I wanted to solidify this interaction because between specifically emotional intelligence and social intelligence, because this is something I'm kind of trying to put together is I really feel that the two are, uh, very necessary, just that, uh, or very necessarily linked because if we don't have emotional intelligence of our own, uh, emotional states and these, you know, things going on within our, our awareness and our experience, how are we supposed to integrate socially and understand other people's experience and under other people's emotions? Um, 
I, I wanted to kind of get your feedback as to whether you feel like that is uh, a justifiable link, if it's a meaningful link or even helpful at all. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. If you, if, I mean, if you haven't done your own work on yourself, you're not going to be able to understand anyone else. Mm-hmm. But the, and yeah. so conversely, the more you do on yourself, the more pleasure you'll get out of life. That's true. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and, and honestly, it allows you to kind of point yourself into directions that are going to be more valuable in your life anyways. If you don't understand mm-hmm. yourself and you don't understand what you value and what you believe in, how are you going to know which way to go? <laughs> and you will probably then make better choices of the things that you do and the people that you become close to. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Because you'll be, able to, you'll be able to identify well, that person looks like they've got a lot of charges going on. I don't know if I want to get involved with that. Ooh, that's, I like that a lot. That it really builds that awareness there. That's something that I've actually been uh, going over in uh, other podcasts uh, is just like when to engage with people um, mm-hmm. that have these emotional charges that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a challenging one. And if you don't think that you can work with that, you better not get involved with them because mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to just pick up on that charge and you're going to think that um, they're the trigger and they're the blame for everything. And you'll start going back into your charges and into your history and then you're stuck. Wow. That's a, that, and that, that requires a lot of awareness that requires a lot of practice, I think too, um, which is extreme. It's it's very valuable when it works. I'm, I'm so sure of that because, um, if you can engage with people and I'm assuming it's only really ever going to be in moments where you sort of have to engage with those people with very complex charges that you're not really sure of. Cause most of the time, I don't think we're going to interject ourselves into those kinds of situations, um, unless we have to, but I think it can, and provide really meaningful experiences and it's how we're going to be able to connect with people well you you might find someone you might meet somebody uh, find they're really attractive you want to get romantically involved with them so you have a relationship a couple of months down the road suddenly that person becomes very angry with you about something that wasn't really your fault mm-hmm. and you go oh what's that about why are you mm-hmm. angry with me? Mm-hmm. And they'll just, you know, then they'll just keep attacking you mm-hmm. about it and blame you, shame you, whatever, mm-hmm. without them honoring that they had the same kind of thing happened in their past many times. And they, they're afraid that you're going to be the same kind of person or something. Mm-hmm. So they're not dealing with their past. They're bringing yeah. it forward into the relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And that's so sorry. You have, to, you have to watch out for people that suddenly decide they're going to take out all that anger on you because it, you don't deserve it. Yeah, and I think that's probably something that's going to pop up in any relationship. Yeah. The the further along you get with it, and I think this is where we kind of come back to once again the idea of emotional intelligence is social yeah. intelligence. You know, because if right. if you can understand that that person has a charge, maybe you're not aware of what it is or what's happening there, um, but if you can understand that it's there and try to emotionally bond with them, it's up to them to decide if they're ready to emotionally bond with you. Um, yeah. You can ask them what that charge is. And see yeah. if, they're, if they're willing to deal with it and mm-hmm. recognize what the real charge is with 
with you. Just you know, maybe they are irritated, truly irritated yeah. about something, but the anger is way out of line with what's required for that particular misdeed that you did, right? Yeah, I like so, that. Are they willing to look at the past and own it? Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Um, is it? Uh... I guess for uh, for me, who's who's been clumsy with this kind of thing in the past, where um, I'll just be like, you know, someone's getting mad at me, and I'll just be like, "Where's this coming from? Why? What? What happened to you in the past?" And they're like, "No, actually, like you're stepping on my foot right now, you know, or something like just something obvious in the moment." Um, so I guess uh, I guess a question that I, that just kind of popped up is, um, how do we know when what's happening? is really a result of actually what's happening in the present moment versus uh, just past charges or past traumas that are manifesting themselves in this way right now? Well, if a person is being really angry, they're not telling you what's really going on, Mm. right? Because they're not saying that they're hurt, they feel ashamed, they feel humiliated, they're telling you they're angry. So they have a shield up protecting themselves from what their deeper feelings really are. So they're not mm-hmm. being honest with you. I see. So it is, it has to start with what's happening right now. What are you actually feeling right now? That's causing this anger shield to come up. And then that gives them the opportunity to decide or to decide whether to trust you with the past traumas or the past emotional responses that are causing this reaction right now. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Awesome. Yeah. I love that. This is so helpful for me because like, I think this is really what I'm trying to do with the podcast is just trying to teach people how we can actually communicate better with each other. Um, And it's, it's why I've been uh, so excited to talk to you about these things because I really, really Mm -hmm. value your insights. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And I guess uh, to kind of, to, as the kind of final wrap up for, for this podcast, um, I'd love to leave people with an, uh, just some rules of thumb or just some basic principles on how they can deal with both their own emotions and emotions of, uh, of their loved ones. Like when, when we find ourselves emotionally charged or we find that we're interacting with someone who's emotionally charged, what are some of the main ways that you think we should start by start to address those situations? Trying to figure out what the real feelings are. Mm. So if you're really angry about something, recognize that anger is not a real emotion it's a Mm -hmm. cover it's a shield it's something we your mind creates to protect yourself to Mm -hmm. protect the softer parts of yourself so look deeper and try to figure out what it is that you're really feeling awesome are there any other emotions like anger that are these like masking emotions that are that act as a shield or is anger kind of the main one um, fear can be used that way as well. Mm. Um, uh, fear is a uh, very powerful emotion. I was trying to think of how I could uh, talk about it. I don't know. Have you studied Machiavelli at all? No, I haven't. Oh, he wrote a book called The Prince, and he talks about the the uh, opposing uh, forces of fear and love. Oh, okay. And, and it's a, uh, it was an incredible insight for me to read that book because it, it taught me about, um, well, if you, if you live with the idea that if you 
make other people afraid of you, you can have power over them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like say a, a CEO that just sort of runs rampant through the business and bossing everybody around and being nasty to them. So mm-hmm. they create fear everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. Or the boss who creates a good feeling or love in mm-hmm. the workplace and tries to be concerned with the um, the lives of the employees. Mm-hmm. Both sides have consequences. The the fear-based boss uh, has to constantly be concerned about uh, rebellion, mm. uh, being stabbed in the back, being dethroned, being taken over. Mm-hmm. The, the boss who creates love and caring in the job, uh, his problems could be... Um, um, let's see, they would be, it's easier to ignore someone that, that loves you than someone that you fear. Because mm. with fear, there's consequences you may not want. With love, mm-hmm. so what? You sort of take right? them for granted. Mm-hmm. You can, and you can just sort of think, well, it doesn't matter because they care about me, so I'll just do what I want. There's no Ooh, consequences. There's no consequences. So that was what Machiavelli was trying to teach is is this uh, polarity between love and fear. And that plays a big role in our relationships too because one party in the relationship might be the affectionate, more passive person. And the other person in the relationship might be more domineering, um, um, aggressive uh, personality. And they both are operating on Machiavellian principles. Mm-hmm. Wow, I like that a lot. Realize, if they don't mm-hmm. realize it, they become trapped in there, and uh, they can't get out of it because it's a it's a cycle. Mm, that's so important, and I, I love it because uh, I could actually see how how in that specifically in that dynamic that you you know you outlined how fear can be used as a mask because you're sort of you're sort of initiating and creating fear in order to protect your own fear. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point there and something that we should be aware of. I'm definitely going to check out Machiavelli. Is that who it was? And the Prince? Yeah, yeah the Prince. Perfect. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to check that out. I think that's going to be a, an important part of, uh, of my repertoire. <laughs> yeah. It was really valuable for me to learn that. It was a great, it's a very skinny little book. So mm-hmm. it, it won't be that be difficult nice. of a read, but it's a good concept. I think that's definitely going to be uh, something very valuable in my life, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, checking that out. But um, Rod, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your insights. Um, I look forward to working more with you on the Moneyless Society. Uh, it's I really think it's going to be um, an effective solution to the problems that we're seeing in our culture and our society now. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, it was great. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. And uh, man, enjoy Canada. I, I I love the Pacific Northwest up there. It, it must be beautiful right now. Uh, yeah, it's uh, all the daffodils are coming out and the buds are starting to come. So spring's coming. Nice. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Rod. Thank you. Nice to meet you. We'll have nice more to- chats in the future.
Oh, definitely. I'll be sending you all of my little blurbs and podcasts asking for your opinion because I really value it. Okay, thanks. You bet. Bye for now. Bye.